Hey. Yo. How's it going? What's happening? Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no worries. I'm excited. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, you're the first guest on the podcast. Um, there you go. Yeah. Set in the tone. Yeah, before we actually like dive in, because I'm sure I can record or like edit the recording a little bit, just wanted to say thank you for, um, you know, for being on. And uh, it's, it's an interesting thing because I've never met you in person, but there's, there's obviously a curiosity about learning more about you. So um, this is, this should be interesting. So I'm a, you know me, I'm an open, I'm an open book. So we'll, all right. we'll get to it. All right. I love it. So, all right. Um, so yeah, this podcast is called the fit philosophers cast and it's where fitness and uh, philosophy intersect. And, um, in my, in my paradigm, um, as a coach and just as a person, um, you know, physical practices have been uh, a way into deeper into my psyche, deeper into my spiritual practices and beliefs and just emotional understanding and development. So, um, I got the vibe that that is also something that you connect to that movement isn't just going through the motions. It's something deeper than that. And it can be healing and transformative so um yeah i wanted to start with asking you what makes you move are we live or are you just getting are we yeah no we're okay, going beautiful. now we're going now. yeah um <laughs> so for me movement i think in terms of, of exercise and fitness and all of that has always really just been an outlet for me right so really whatever it is that i'm going through in life whether it's good bad you know a little bit of blah in between um, movement for me, whether, you know, historically been running, let's just say, okay. has always been an opportunity for me to kind of get outside of myself and just, just kind of be a little bit more free. Right. And so I've leaned into that during good times, bad times, you name it. Um, you know, my coach in high school used to say I was the angriest runner he's ever seen. And it was because I was taking out this inner anger, this inner anguish, um, you know, just in my running. And I think I've used that when needed, um, as I've grown older and, and evolved from there. Mm. So, you know, for me, it, it changes as to why I'm, why I'm training the way I'm training or why I'm, you know, putting, putting myself in these uncomfortable situations or what have you. So, sure. um, it's definitely, it's been an outlet for me and something that I, I lean into really just when I, when I feel like I need it most. Got it. Yeah. So I, I agree that like, the connecting to your deep why is a very important thing. And I also do think that it can be a fluid and, and changing thing throughout your life. So what is, what would you say that the reason is now, if it's, if it's kind of changed from being an outlet, what do you think your, your core why is right now? Yeah, I would still, I would still say it's an outlet for me, but it's very, it's, you know, fortunately it's less of a, a punching bag, if you will. Right. I think now it comes from a place of just celebrating the fact that I, am able to move the way that I do and able to train the way that I do and compete. Um, I'm just super grateful for the fact that my body allows me to do what it does. And I almost feel like a responsibility to explore the outer limits of what that may look like, whether it be Ironman, whether it be these high rocks races, whether it be, you know, trying to tackle a hundred mile run. Um, usually now it's about what's possible, right? Rather than a punching bag. And so I think for me, that's the exciting part. And it's not every day that I wake up and I'm like, let's see how far I can push it. Right. 
but having some sort of goal or some sort of event on the calendar that can be kind of my driving force behind training every day, I think uh, has been a really just something awesome, right? I love having something on the calendar that I can look forward to and something that scares me to make me train that much harder. Got it. Got it. So um, if you're open to it, I'd love to explore like your personal journey of going from, you know, using um, training as a punching bag to using it as a target that you're working towards. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things, I think it's a commonality amongst all people. And um, I'm a little bit familiar with your background and I'd love to explore how like you've kind of turned um, some of the more painful moments of your life into um, your purpose and kind of alchemized that energy. Yeah, no doubt. I think, um, you know, it's a good, it's a good question. I think it's a, it's a long story. It's the whole journey, right? Like everything, (laughs) everything that I've gone through, um, whether it was going to rehab, right. And getting sober, whether it was losing my dad, losing my brother, right? Like there's been so many, uh, bumps along the road and those it's to, to call those bumps, right. Is certainly understating the significance of them. But that said, like there have absolutely been tests along the way that again, you know, when needed, when I feel like I've, I've, I've lost all, all, um, ability to rationalize why and think through, you know, what are the positives of the situation? Sometimes you just got to let loose, right? And sometimes you just got to go do what makes you feel good in that moment. And for a long time for me, it was always just drinking and drugs, right? Like that's what the solution was. And so when I finally was able to kind of move past that as my crutch, as my, as my, you know, negative outlet, now that I'm in a headspace where um, I can work through those things a little bit better and, um, you know, maybe take, take inventory of where I am and what I'm going through and all of those things. Training still at the end of the day is almost like a breath of fresh air. And so I think, um, to, to rewind the clock for everybody to give some context, um, you know, I grew up an athlete, right. And I wasn't necessarily good at, you know, I joke about it all the time, but I wasn't necessarily good at sports, but I was good at exercise. I was good at fitness. I was still athletic in my own way. And so for, you know, one thing led to another and I obviously got entrenched in the running community and eventually that led to the endurance community. And so I think something that a lot of runners specifically and endurance athletes specifically share in common, right, is it usually, usually there's a bigger why behind it, right? Usually there's some sort of driving force behind why they're pushing those limits. And so for me, having gone through what I've gone through over the last couple of years in terms of, you know, loss of family members and just other kind of traumas and tragedies, like for me, again, it's coming now, it boils down to uh, just a place of gratitude in the sense that I, I get to wake up and I get to push and I get to train like when you can come and attack your training from that place and still really want to push it and find out what you're capable of and set these big goals. Um, when you can have that perspective, I think it's a really refreshing perspective to have around your training. And I think it makes it a lot easier to see a goal through to fruition, um, and push when it gets hard, you know, because, um, you know, specifically in that world, the 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 things that we're trying to attack the things that we're trying to accomplish are not 
ever comfortable. It doesn't matter how fit you get. You just happen to go faster in that discomfort, right? I always say 100% for me is equal to 100% to any, for anybody else. Right. I just might happen to be moving a little bit quicker. That's yeah. all. Right, exactly. All. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, it keeps coming back to me. It was something I, I was preparing in my notes when, when I was uh, creating questions. Have you ever read the book, or I'm sure you've heard of the story of the Iron War? I have. Well, I haven't read it, but I've heard the story. Got it. Okay. So I think it's a great, um, like, uh, a great metaphor. Um, I'll just recap for people if they're, if they're listening. So, um, so it's Mark Allen and Dave Scott, right? Two athletes that are going head to head in, uh, in an Ironman um, triathlon. And in the book, really what they go into is how one athlete, um, Dave Scott, really used his anger as a, a source of fuel. Um, and then Mark Allen kind of took this completely opposite um, approach where he was really exploring a spirituality, which could be, could be seen as like a very, like, I guess in our culture, a very like soft way of uh, getting like, you know, that extra punch um, and finding motivation. And it's kind of paradoxical. How can you find that motivation through spirituality? So anyways, both took completely different approaches, but got to the same point and we're head to head. And I just always think of that as a very interesting um, dichotomy. And in my own training, so I've, you know, I've done a few marathons. I love endurance sports. Um, I used to come from a really fear-based uh, place and, and angry. You know, I was like, I was getting out my anger and I could just tap deep, deep, deep into that. But it wasn't as enjoyable. And when I learned to kind of use the training as a celebration in a form like a, a practice of gratitude. You know, that's that like long burning fuel source where I enjoy being with myself when I'm doing the thing rather than I'm like running away from myself. I can become more embodied. So I'm curious um, if that brings anything up for you or if you can relate to that. Yeah, I, I think, listen, anybody who's run a marathon, anybody who's done anything of that duration can cer should certainly relate to that, hopefully, because yeah. you're out there for a long time, right? And I, you know, the thoughts you have, the, the ideas you come up with, the revelations you have, like, those are real. And sometimes maybe the, the biggest ones that you'll ever have, like, I've certainly come up with some of my best ideas, some of my, you know, maybe some of my worst ideas that I've just <laughs> been in love with, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I love, you know, as extroverted as I am, right, as much of a, a people pleaser as I can be, as much as a, the energy in the room that I typically try to bring all of those things, um, I'm actually pretty introverted, like more so from the perspective of like, I just like time by myself, right? I like to be with me and my thoughts and, and get my head clear and, and whatnot. So um, it can take a lot out of me to be that energy in the room. And I always find that even though maybe I'm doing something more, you know, physically demanding, right? Mentally and emotionally for me, it's a lot easier to just go be by myself and go on my run and do my thing and, and have my thoughts than it might be to entertain a room of 100 people, right? right. It, is more, it takes more out of me, ironically, to go yeah. lead a class of 50 people than it does to go uh, race against 50 people. So um, I can certainly relate to the idea of, you know, really one, uh, being by yourself or being more so with your thoughts. I think that's the way that I like to think about it is you're not necessarily alone, but you're certainly, you know, with, with your thoughts as you're doing that type of an event or, or getting after it. And 
that type of training, training itself can be very, you know, you can feel very alone sometimes because maybe people don't understand what it is that you're doing. Maybe they don't understand why it is that you're training the way you are waking up when you wake up or sacrificing the weekends like you sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's okay, right? Not not everybody's going to get it. Some people will absolutely understand. Um, and others, others might not, but I think for those of us who live in this world and go after these feats, I think it's a very, um, you know, it's a very common, common feeling to have. And I love the idea of celebrating, you know, of treating races and events like celebrations. Candidly, it's something that I still have to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes like you, you suggested, and I think it's such an interesting word for it, but like coming from that perspective, right, can be viewed as soft, right, versus versus coming from an angry place and gritting your teeth and grinding away and doing X, Y, and Z, right? Um, but that's to say, is it soft if it works? You know what I mean? Like, is it soft if, if I'm going to win the race coming from a place where, wow, I'm happy doing right. it versus angry and losing the race? You know, I'd much prefer yeah. to win and be happy. So right. uh, I think you put that very well. Yeah, thank you. I, I think that it's a, it was a, a huge shift for me when I learned that, you know, I also had the option to, to be generating more joy through my training than like, um, I don't know, than, than just becoming tougher. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you, sure. you can get tougher and, uh, and build resilience through just loving every moment of the training and having gratitude. And, um, I'm not sure exactly what created that shift for me, but I'm grateful for it. So. <laughs> yeah. Listen, yeah. If it happens, sometimes things just click the way they should. Yeah. I find I train, I train angry and I race happy, right? Um, it's almost like, okay, I'm putting in the work, I'm showing up, I'm alone in the rain on a day, nobody else is out on the roads, and then I get to go reap the rewards of that work on race day, yeah. and I'm just proud of myself for actually having shown up and done it. So a quick a quick aside, because I think it speaks to this really well, is my first Ironman, right? My first Ironman, I barely knew how to swim. I barely knew how to bike. The only thing I had going for me was that I could run a good bit, right? Mm -hmm. And had to take swim lessons, had to literally basically learn how to ride the clip and bike. I was bloodied and bruised by the end of my first ride, like fell seven times, whatever. (laughs) Um, And it was on the one year anniversary of my brother passing away right? Almost to the day. It was like one day before, two days before. Went up to Maine with my mom and uh, I put in so much work, right? I put in, I had never been more prepared for a race in my life. Mm -hmm. And I did it from a place of anger, to be totally honest with you. I was my, you know, I was so upset. I was so broken. The only thing I knew how to do well still was to train. And so I put everything I had in it. I remember standing on the beach that morning, looking out at the water, looking out at the ocean, getting super emotional before the gun even went off and was doing it with one of my best friends in the world. And I was like, he's like, dude, you good? And obviously we knew there were some emotions coming into that day or whatever, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, an emotion of sadness. It was an emotion of finally feeling proud of myself for putting in the work and seeing something through and knowing there was nothing else I could have done. Not one stone was left unturned. Um, and I remember 
going through that race, still racing angry, right? Still using that emotion. But I do remember the final straightaway vividly, right? It's almost something that usually we, we blank and black out, whatever, right, right. Especially, four, especially four and a half, five hours into a race. But yeah. I remember it vividly and like crying, smiling, happy. I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulder. And I always say like that race was when I let kind of like this baggage that I had from that year um, finally fall off. And I was like, yo, I am giving you, meaning myself, I'm giving you permission to live life again and just do it, right? Because I think I was holding back or I felt like I was holding back that whole year. I felt like, why why Jake? Why not me? Why me? Why not Jake? All of these things. Um, and so it was just, that was a big, that was a huge turning point in my life because for that year of, of sorrow and misery, right? Um, I just was so up in my head and so up in my, you know, I just had a heavy heart, right? And so I think that for me was a huge turning point, not just for how I approach physical things, but how I approach life as a whole, just from a place of like, yo, you're here, be grateful and just fucking crush it because you get the opportunity to do it. Right. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I think that it's really interesting how I think like, you know, every race, or every workout, every challenge that you step into is a, has different like moments that are, you know, highlights or whatever. And um, the way that I understand movement and experience movement is a, a very like it's like every single race or training session is like a conversation with my body is kind of how I look at it or a meeting with my body. You know, and it's like a mandatory meeting every day. I'm not going to miss it. Um, and there's. Uh, communication skills that you practice with other people that you also want to practice with your own body, like deep listening, you know, not judging as you're listening to someone, those types of things, just being really curious about what's going on. And, um, you know, in that vein, one of the theories sort of that I've put together about um, any kind of physical challenge. So let's say you set a race, for example, that there's kind of like a three, three phase process to it. And in my mind, it's, it starts in the mind and it starts with the mental determination to do the thing. So maybe for your Ironman, you know, you decided I am going to race this number of miles. Um, and then it turns, then it kind of drops into the body, right? You have to do the work. You're exploring all the physical sensations, discomfort, pain, all of those things. And then I think that as much physical training as you can do, um, there has to be a deeper fuel source. And so for me, it goes from the mind into the body. And then obviously the heart is part of the body, but then it goes into this heart and it's like a heart opening experience. And it kind of sounds like what you experienced on that last stretch of that race was a, a heart opening experience. And for me, that's where I've always found my greatest, um, it's sort of like an unlimited fuel source that I have here. It's, and I call it my joy jar. So like here, open up the jar and then it's just like infinite. So I, I detach from all the mental stuff, all the physical stuff and kind of enter this just realm of gratitude. So um, do you experience that? I would, I guess my question is, can you relate to that A? And B, how do you experience that maybe even um, in your training sessions? Do you find yourself kind of going through those phases? 
I can definitely relate on occasion, right? And I, I would, I'm sure that you would agree in the sense that like, that's almost the ideal, right? Like that's the, yeah. that's what we're striving for. It doesn't always go that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when it does, I think that's when, that's when training becomes enjoyable, right? Not to, not to rip or be cliche from the joy jar, but <laughs> right, right, right. when, when you can go through that process, um, you know, I talk about it a lot with my clients, right? Specifically, you know, I'm fortunate enough to coach like 50, probably 50 or so endurance athletes around the world, whether they're Olympic trial qualifiers or they're somebody trying to just do their first half marathon. Um, you know, just really, really fortunate to be connected to a lot of really good people. And whether it's them, whether it's the people at the gym, whether it's, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it's everyone, it's myself included. And I'm sure it's yourself is more times than not, when you're really working for something, when you're really pushing for a big goal, mm -hmm. training, training probably isn't that fun most of the time, right? Training is that, right? And you get that and you feel that that's what keeps you coming back, right? And it's like, it's almost like, yeah, okay, listen, nine times out of 10, you're going through it, you're getting it done, you're checking the box, you're showing up for yourself because you know you're going to be better for it. Mm -hmm. But it's that one time out of 10 where everything aligns and you feel fucking good and you just are excited about training and you walk out of the session um, feeling just feeling like a million bucks. Right. Those are what make those other nine times worth it, right? And so, you know, yeah. I think for anybody listening who's like, damn, I don't, I don't relate to that at all. I, don't, I, I never feel good leaving the gym. Right. Like it takes time too, right? And it takes, it takes practicing the mental reps of it like you've done, like you haven't gotten to that place of enjoying it like that just by chance, not by circumstance, right? You've, you've worked to put yourself in that position, just like we work to put ourselves in position to get physically stronger, faster, fit or whatever. So I think for anybody listening, I always like to kind of tie it back because they hear two people who are, you know, maybe further along or, or further developed in whatever it is that we're discussing. And so for us right now, you got to realize that this is our life, right? This is what we do. And so if you're just starting on that journey and, and you're not relating to it, just recognize we ain't, we're not fluffing this up or we're not making this up. It's right. just, it takes time to right. cultivate the ability to kind of get it from that perspective. Yeah. Um, and see. it's worth putting yeah, it's worth putting in the work to mm -hmm. get to that point because that's what it's all about. Yeah. So like doing the groundwork, going through the, the messiness, I think a lot of times, you know, when we present ourselves or expose ourselves to a physical challenge, it brings all of the, the mental stuff up. And that can be a lot to face. And I think that that sometimes can be a reason why people avoid, you know, starting a training program or whatever, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. And that's not just physical, it's also mental, you know, judgments against yourself, fears, all those things are going to just flood up. And it can be a lot to to face. So I know that um, a big part of your business and your life is surrounded around this alpha mindset. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about what that yeah. is? Maybe? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly dive into what that's all about, um, how it came to be and whatnot. But I think I want to stay on one thing that you just said very uh, poignantly, I think is that a lot of times I think in terms of people being reserved, right in terms of why they don't start something in the first place mm -hmm. is maybe they have in the past right maybe they have started something in the past let's just say a training plan and they failed to see it through they failed on the follow-through mm -hmm. and to start again 
is another opportunity to fail again, right? Yes, it's another opportunity to succeed, but it's another opportunity to, to not see something through and to not, you know, to realize maybe that you're not as tough as you want to believe you are and all of those things, right? And I think the reason I was so emotional up on that beach that day at the Ironman was because that was me, right? That was, I had lost my ability to follow through with my word. Right. I talk about it all the time in the sense of part of that alpha mentality is having confidence in yourself to do what you say you're going to do. Right. And I think if you failed at something in the past and you're fearful of starting again, a lot of that has to do with the conversation you're having in your head yeah. about, am I, am I capable? Am I, am I willing and ready to do the work required to get where I want to go? A lot of people say, yo, I want to run a three hour marathon. And when you outline the work that it requires to run a three hour marathon, they're like, never, they're like, never mind, right? The work that I'm willing to do does not line up with the goal that I say I want. So anytime that I bring on a new client, one of the first things that I'm asking them is, do you understand the work that it's going to take to do this? And are you willing to do it? And I go, let's line it up. Let's, let's show you what it's going to take to get where you want to go. And then I want to hear that you say that you still want that goal. Right. So can I ask and you? So, can I ask you something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I actually have two questions. <laughs> um. So Fire one, <laughs> I never run out of questions. So um, first is is that um is that sort of is that a test or is that is that kind of like testing the person, to figure out if it's a good fit for you to work with them? Um, is it meant to just evoke just a little bit of healthy fear in them? What's the what's the purpose behind asking that? The purpose is twofold. First and foremost, it is for them, right? It, it's a question for them to reflect upon because I think I love setting goals, right? I'm, you know, that's just how I'm wired. Mm -hmm. I, I, I enjoy how do I go get it, right? Doing in that instance, we're saying, do you as my client want? And then let's reverse engineer it and make sure that that lines up, right? Because sometimes, for example, I wanted to do a full Ironman and I wanted to qualify for the Kona world championships. Yeah. I knew what I knew. I wanted that goal, but I also knew the work that was required to go get it. And I don't have, I didn't have the time to put in that work. And I had to say to myself, then that goal doesn't really make sense for me right now. And so really it's, it's a question for those clients, not to strike fear in them by any means, but just to present, um, what, what the reality is to attack what they want to attack so that the expectations are on an appropriate level. I'm good with big reach goals. I'm good with all of that. Yeah. Um, but I just want to set the expectations firmly from the beginning, because if somebody comes to me and says, yo, I want to lose 30 pounds and they're only willing to train once a week and they're not willing to change their diet, then they're going to be frustrated with me. If I say, no problem, like we'll, we'll make it work. Like, no, we won't. You want to lose 30 freaking pounds. You got to work. You got to, you got to change some shit, right? So it's really just about setting expectations so that we're not disappointed down the road and so that we understand what we're walking into. Nice. Yeah, I, think, I think it's awesome. And then hopefully we'll get back on track. But I, you said something about every time that you start um, a new goal, it's an opportunity to fail again um, or succeed again. And, uh, when you, when you did your Ironman, that was kind of what, what came up for you, um, as you were walking to the starting line. And, um, I'm curious how you define both success and failure. Yeah. So interestingly enough, as soon as you said that I, for me, standing on the line, knowing that I did everything in my power 
that was the win for me. That was the success, right? So like knowing that I, I did everything that I possibly could to execute what my goal was on that day. Um, and then I had to go out and do it, which was the second kind of second part of that success, right? So I was proud of myself. I did what I said I was, I was going to do. I showed up as prepared as I possibly could. And then it was time to go to execute. But even if I failed, candidly, and I say this having succeeded, but even if I had failed on the day, I know for a fact, I would have been proud of myself for the work that I did. That's how hard I worked, right? So there was no yeah. doubt in my mind. Um, so, and when you say even if you had failed, does that mean if you had not reached a certain time goal? Yeah. So I think, you know, as a competitive athlete, right, there's, you know, there's different levels of all of this, right? So for me, I consider myself to be competitive, right? And so I set time goals, I set that type of stuff. But for somebody else, maybe it's just completing the race, finishing it, right? And so I had a specific goal that I had trained to accomplish. Fortunately, I did, right? Um, but I definitely would have segmented those two had I not, right? The overall experience was a success, fortunately. Okay. With regards to the failure, right? I think that again, there's there's levels to it, right? So we'll use a different endurance event that I went out to tackle. I tried to run 100 miles in one day in November, right? November 1st of last year was supposed to be the New York City Marathon. They canceled the race. I wanted to do something to motivate my clients. I wanted to do something to motivate myself. I wanted to raise money for our foundation, you name it. There was a, a really big purpose behind this 100 mile run, specifically centered around the fact that I wanted to do it for my brother, right? Like I, I fortunately, but unfortunately, piggybacked, right? Or, 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 or latched these two goals together. Yeah. Run 100 miles and do it for Jake, right? So all of a sudden, there was this burden, right? This oh, burden how long of, ago had your brother passed away? Uh, three and a half years ago. Okay. Three and a half years ago. So every year we've tried to do something in, in his memory, whether it's host a 5K, do the Ironman, you name it something that scares me. And so this, this past fall was run a hundred miles. I had never even run, you know, further than a marathon. And here I was trying to run four of them back to back to back to back. Why not? And I hadn't really even trained for it. So I was in for a rude awakening, which is exactly what happened. Um, and I failed, right? I could not physically run the hundred. I had to tap out at 65 miles. Um, I ran for about 12 hours. So I was way ahead of pace but my body kind of just broke down and um, you know, my foot, they, they thought I had two stress fractures in both of my feet. Like I was just, there was no running. I couldn't, it, I could not do it no matter what I wanted. Right. And I was really hurting for a while. So I documented the whole journey on my story, right? Every, um, every 30 to 30 minutes to an hour, I tried to check in mm -hmm. and you saw my spirits high at the beginning. You saw some low points along the way you saw the realization that it wasn't going to happen, you name it. And I have the whole story saved on my phone. It's fun. You know, it's kind of fun to go back and watch yourself go through an experience like that. But the final part of the story was I'm in pitch black. It's, it's nine o'clock at night. You can't even see my face. You just hear my voice talking as I walk around the park completely alone. And I was so disappointed with myself because I quit, right? At least in that moment, I felt such disappointment. And it wasn't because I didn't run the 100 per se. It was because I couldn't follow through with what I said I was going to do in memory of my brother. So it was like so much emotional baggage that I put on myself. 
Yeah. Um, and everyone was like, dude, are you kidding me? They're like, you just ran 65 miles. You've never even done half of that. They're like, can you just put this in context? I go, you don't understand. I go, I said I was going to go do this. I said, no matter what, I'm going to go do this. And I didn't. I go, yeah. that weighs on me. And they're like, you know, I, I had to really take a step back and I had to really take inventory, right? And, and recognize that it was almost unfair of me to bundle this together, that as if I was failing my brother for not running 100 miles. Like, Jake doesn't give a shit. You know, he'd be <laughs> calling me an, he'd be at the park, calling me an idiot for even running more than a marathon. You know what I mean? He'd be like, dude, you're good. Like, we're set. We're good. Like, we're brothers. You know what I mean? So I had to take a step back and I had to um, really redefine what failure was. Uh, I failed to prepare right? No doubt about that. There's, there's no denying that I did not prepare like I did for that half Ironman. But and I and I failed to achieve, quote unquote, the goal that I had set. But I did not fail my brother, right? I did not fail the people supporting me. Yeah. Um, and I think in that moment, sometimes it's really hard to separate the two, the, the actual numeric goal, or the metric goal or the, the tangible goal, and just doing it to the best of your ability. Right. So the cliche saying is essentially like, just do the best you can. And that's all you can ask for. I did that on that day. Yeah. Right. There's no doubt. There's right. no one, no one could tell my feet, my body, nothing otherwise. Yeah. But I think it's very dangerous territory when you start to equate success and failure as black and white. Mm. You know, it, that was not a black and white success or failure moment. I, I did not accomplish the physical goal, but I accomplished giving it everything that my body had on the day, yeah. you know? And so now as I look back on it, you know, no regrets, no nothing, just motivation to, to hopefully get it done this year. Wow. That's super interesting. Um, and again, a moment of like something that you were feeling so deeply and profoundly uh, becoming like a teaching moment for you. So it actually changed your mindset. So I think it's always so interesting how the mind and the body are always like, speaking to each other as you're evolving, um, upwards. And, um, and so how has that, you know, I guess, how has that helped shape the alpha mindset and all of the work that you do with that? Yeah. So the alpha mindset realistically is a kind of a, it, it became a culmination of a lot of like the bigger lessons that I've learned over the last few years, having gone through, you know, the losses that I have and the things that I've experienced. And so, so a lot of it stemmed from this foundation of work that I put together when I was getting sober, right? And so that time, it was 30 days in an inpatient rehab. It was 60 days in a, in a sober living environment. It was 90 days, right, of, of just work on myself and asking myself difficult questions and being honest with where I was and why I was there and, and, and all of those things. And so, I got really real with myself, you know, and it, it kind of formed this mindset of like, listen, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it, it's no one else's fault what happens to you. Like life just happens, but it's on you to decide what happens next, right? In terms of how you respond to it. And that's, that's really the, the foundation of the mindset is you don't choose what happens to you, right? But you choose what happens next in terms of how you respond. And it wasn't until I took responsibility for my life, for my actions, for the consequences of those actions, that anything changed. I was so good at pointing the finger at outside circumstances, at, 
you know, what happened to me, what other people were doing, whether it was, you know, addiction in my family or my parents divorce or you name it, right? Like nobody ever blamed me. Nobody ever held me accountable. Right. And it wasn't, and nobody was going to because, because shit just kept happening to me. Right. And so when my dad passed away and I was only, you know, nine months sober, nobody was going to blame me if I went back to drinking. Nobody. Right. They would have been like, ah, Sam, we get it. Like totally understand, man. You know, you're going through a hard time. Fuck that. Right. Like that, that, like if I did that, who does that serve? No one. Right. Doesn't serve me. Doesn't serve my dad. Didn't serve my brother. Nobody. Right. And so it wasn't until I took responsibility for my life that anything was going to change because nobody was going to change it for me. Nobody was going to hold me accountable because they were, they just, it was out of love. They wanted to just support me and, and, and like keep me in one piece, you know? So all of these things kept happening and people were like, how are you pushing forward? They're like, how are you continuing to show up, continuing to do the right things, continuing to build progress, this and that, like, and I'm like, because I'm here and I get to do it, you know, like, it's just, it, it was, there was such a, a, a switch that flipped, right? My mindset literally, quite frankly, changed. And I don't want to say overnight, right? Because it was a 90 day period. But that whole process started, because I was at a rehab facility, visiting someone super close to me. And I heard this girl stand up and share her story. And her story woke me up to my core, right? I had never heard someone share their story like this, or at least I didn't truly hear them. And it just rocked me. And I literally, to the point that I almost got sick in the room, I had to go outside and catch some air. She was talking about feeling lost, feeling hopeless, feeling like nobody understood. And all these things that were going through her head. And she said the only time she felt quote unquote normal or more so normal like herself was when she was drunk or high. And I'm like, yep. I go, yeah. I go, I got you. Meanwhile, I'm there just visiting. Like I'm not in treatment. And I'm like, yeah. I go, you're speaking my language now. I go, that's how I've been feeling for the last few years. And so I went outside and I was like, yo, are you bugging out or is this real? Mm -hmm. Right. Is she, I go, are you, you know, should you be here? Should you be here talking to myself? So what usually would happen in that moment would be I'd talk myself out of it and I'd be like, nah, man, you're good. Like, go back inside, get through today. Some type of denial. Yeah. Or just like rationalization, being like, you know, you're good, you're fine. You know, you don't have a problem, whatever. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I pulled that same girl aside and I go, yo, I need to speak with you. And she was like, okay, what's up? She probably was under the assumption that I was going to start asking questions about, you know, just her story or how it relates to whomever I was visiting, et cetera. And, uh, I'm like, yo, what you said just, just shook me. I was like, can we sit and talk about this? I was like, do I have a problem? I was like, is this my problem? And she was like, you know, after an hour conversation, she goes, if you leave here, it will be the biggest regret of your life. She goes, you will look back on this moment and you will think if I had only stayed and done what I needed to do, I'd be in a completely different place. She said, I just want you to think about that. She goes, I know that's scary to hear. I know that's a lot, but she goes, the work that you will do here will change the trajectory of your life. And it absolutely did. So I checked myself in that weekend, stayed for a month, um, was in treatment with my mom. Like I was visiting my mom, Mm. you know, and, uh, 
crazy to think about because candidly, as we sit here now, I'm in a completely different world, right? So if you, if you were to actually ask me, and I haven't necessarily talked about this uh, as of late, but if you were to actually ask me and say, you know, do you struggle with addiction? Like, do you, you know, are you an alcoholic? All those things, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think that I'm the typical alcoholic. I don't think that I necessarily struggle with addiction as other people do. I think that I used drinking and drugs as my crutch and my cripple when I was dealing with anxiety and depression. Um, I think I've equipped myself with tools now to handle life as, as I need to without those things. I think I could indulge and enjoy them if I needed to, or if I wanted to now, uh, I don't, I don't choose to, but I think I could. Um, and so the work that I did there is, is so crucial in terms of being a foundation for just dealing with life now, right? Dealing with loss, dealing with those things. I recognize that I don't, I don't have a choice in what happens to me. No one does, right? But we all have the choice in terms of what we do next, how we respond to life when it punches us in the face, right? So I'm ready to punch back now, right? And not out of a place of anger, but like out of a place of like, this is my life, right? And I'm going to fight for what I want. And I'm not going to just blame outside circumstances or this or that, because that's the easy way, but it doesn't do shit for you. You know, it gets not, it, it doesn't do anything for you. So if you can lock into a mindset that's centered around and built around just understanding that it's on you at the end of the day, then you're going to be a much better person for it, right? You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to mess up. You're still not going to want to do things, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to fail, right? You're going to not follow through. But if, if everything that you do, the perspective that you have, right? The way that you see how things unfold, you recognize that it's on you to make things happen. It's on you. It's on you, right? That's the one truth. If, you know, usually sometimes we end my podcast, The Pursuit, with like, what's that one truth that you would give people? I go, listen, nobody's going to want to hear it, but it's just that it's on you. The uncomfortable truth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, the question that's coming up for me is, and maybe, maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't, but... Um, for those who are really uncomfortable with that idea of taking extreme ownership and responsibility in their lives, um, do you have any advice for them? Like maybe a, like a practical tip um, of a w small way to start practicing that rather than sitting back and waiting for something to happen to you, you know, that's going to wake you up in into that kind of mindset. Yeah. It's not going to be that sexy of an answer. It's not going to be like a fun, you know, so for me, something that's been of massive benefit has always been journaling. So I, I really have been a huge advocate just in terms of writing things out. Right. I think a lot of times we have these ideas, these thoughts that just kind of fester and roll around in our, in our heads. And as soon as I start to write things down, I get really clear on what's real and what's not real. Meaning like, you know, what's, what's the truth of the matter, right? I'm, you know, I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z. I need to make a decision on how I'm going to push forward, or I need to make a decision in terms of, uh, you know, really just how I want to take next steps and approach situations, et cetera. Um, I just write it out and I, and it really, for whatever reason for me brings a lot of clarity and in tandem with that, having a few people around you that you can really trust as a soundboard and not and they're not people who are just going to agree with you. They're going to be people who challenge you. Um, 
having trusted advisors, right, is a really crucial thing to have in your life, even if it's just one or two people, right? Someone that you can go to who's going to look at something from a third party objective perspective and say, you know, this is what I'm hearing you say. This is how I'm seeing the situation. This is where I think you're a little off in how you're viewing it or you're absolutely right. And, and, and that's that. So I think those two things for me, one, being able to write things down and, and hash things out with myself. And two, if I'm really stuck leaning on a few good friends to just be like, listen, I'm having a hard time with this and I need, I just need to talk it out with somebody. Can I just talk? Can I, even if they're just sitting there nodding their head, I'm like, can I just talk to your face for a little bit? Um, (laughs) Because usually, you know, it, it's very easy to believe our own bullshit. It's super easy. Right. And as soon as you have a few good people who know that, right. They can, they can hopefully call you on it and just be like, listen, I've watched you do the same thing three times through. You keep making the same mistake when it comes to X, Y, and Z. Like what needs to change here Mm -hmm. so that we stop having this conversation, right? Right, Whether it's, whether it's overspending, right? Whether it's overeating, whether it's under exercising, whether it's whatever, right? Usually somebody else can pick up on our trends and habits before we can, right? And if you keep having the same conversation with somebody, chances are they're going to be like, yo, man, like you've said this three times in the last three weeks, like what's going to change? Something's got to. And if they're not, then that's not necessarily someone that you want around you, right? You you don't want the person who's going to allow you to continue to to stew in your own bullshit. Um, For sure. Or, or it's just, that's not the person that you go to when you need help. Right. Different role plays a different role. No doubt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking through some of my questions here. I definitely have more things that I would like to ask you. Um, all right, I'm going to go through. So I kind of wrote out all these statements, and um, I'm going to have you say agree if you agree or disagree, and then like if anything, there's anything you want to add to it. So um, I, it kind of uh, piggybacks on what you were just saying. So I already know your answer, but agree or disagree? External conditions matter most. Disagree. Okay. Um, think with the heart, not the mind. Agree and disagree. So okay. I'll, I'll add context. Okay. 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 I just think I think that there are certain 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 situations where you've got to listen to your heart more than your head, and vice versa, right? And I think I have always been somebody who thinks with my heart first and my head second. Hmm. I think it makes me a really good leader of people, but I think sometimes it can make me a poor businessman because I let my heart lead the way and not necessarily in my head. I think sometimes I think too optimistically of other people or other situations. Whereas if I just look at something and I remove uh, the people from it or anything like that, you know, sometimes the numbers would tell me differently or or things like that, whether it's, um, whether it's someone's compensation, whether it's a package that we put together, whether it's a, a deal, doesn't matter, right? Sometimes, your heart can get you into trouble, but sometimes your head can um, can get in the way of something really good happening just because the right people are in the room or things like that. So uh, a little bit of both depends. Oh, on the okay, got it. Um, it's the journey, not the desti- destination that matters most. Strongly agree. And um, let's see, I had one more. Where did you go? 
Well, I don't know where my other one is, but I have an interesting question for you because I definitely want to expand. So, okay, to give uh, listeners some context. So I have two older brothers and those were my just role models growing up. And in my career so far, I've had a lot of male role models. And I think that it's sort of this extrapolation of my family dynamic growing up. Um, But I definitely feel like in this podcast and just in all my business pursuits, I am really... uh, embracing like becoming a female role model and also I want to inspire other people to step into that um and so I'm curious do you have a favorite female athlete or entrepreneur or teacher or anyone that you want to give a shout out to yeah I mean I alluded to it earlier and obviously it's kind of like a cliche mama's boy saying but you know I think my mom is you know my biggest role model period um she is, you know, it's, you know, it's funny to think about and, and it's makes me super grateful to really just kind of recognize it in this moment in the sense that not everybody's as fortunate to have, to have that. Right. And, you know, I alluded to a little bit of our history and, and I know she doesn't mind me sharing in the sense that like she has struggled, right. Like immensely, um, more than I will ever understand probably. Right. Whether it was health issues, right. Having like 12 major surgeries, um, addiction, divorce, loss, right? Like she's been through the gambit. Um, But that said, comes and shows up with a smile every time. Like she is the happiest person in every room, right? She is the light of every room. And I don't like, that's not fluff, that's real, you know? And everybody feels that, which is such a special quality. And I try to embody that myself. I get a lot of things from my mom. And I think part of that, is you know part of who I am is very much her um but anybody who can anybody who can endure right and come out the other side better for it um you know they get a shake they get a shake of my hand right because like that's I get it I know how hard it is and for anybody to do it even at a at a higher level than I try to do it myself has my utmost admiration right like some people have you know, people hear my story, right, about my dad and my brother, and they're like, oh, my God, man, like, wow, right? I go, dude, that's nothing compared to what some people have been through. And that's to, to think about that, that's crazy, right? And so my mom has been through what I've been through, and then so much more. And to still be that person is incredible to me. So um, not to be mama's boy, but like, Honestly, she, though. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's got it. Um, man, you know, female or male, anybody who's just been through life, um, and truly been tested along the way, you know, that's, that's so impressive to me. So just, just impressed by mom. Awesome. I love it. That's very sweet too. (laughs) Um, and then I have one more agree or disagree that comes up. So it kind of comes back to this initial thing that we were talking about with, um, you know, using um, gratitude and celebration as a source of fuel. So agree or disagree, a smile is a superpower. Facts, big facts. Facts, just not even agree, just facts. It's just a fact. <laughs> do you it's, ever have I, moments? I, in, can't disagree. Yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah. Do, you, do you have moments in training or in racing where you pull out a smile as a way to just like keep moving forward rather than gritting your teeth, you're like, huh, why don't I just smile? And then uh, maybe I'll enjoy this a little bit more. It's very rare. Okay. Very rare. Yeah. Um, moments that I get to do that are 
moments where I'm in these gyms that we've built, right? When I'm in these gyms that I, that we've built and I'm working my ass off, whatever, or maybe I'm not, but I can look around and I can see the joy that we're bringing other people, right? Yeah. That's, that's when I can look around and really smile and be like, this is special. Um, so whether it's the garage gym and it's just like, a person that I've put together a program for and they're in the corner and they're doing it, but they're working on themselves. They're putting in the, the time, all of those things. And maybe upon conversation, I know they've struggled with that in the past, like watching somebody else go, you know, to, to follow through with what they said they want to do and be a part of that brings me a lot of joy in terms of the training and then watching people connect with one another in that environment is a really special thing that we are intentionally and consciously building. We're building places where that is at the hub of what we do. That is at the heart of what we do. And it's why we're successful. So for me to go over to alpha fit club last night, for example, and check in on one of the new coaches that we're bringing on and to watch them having fun, lead this class and watch the class have fun with them. Like it's raining outside. We have the rowers out there. They're still getting it done and doing it like to me that's where I can kind of take a step back and really feel joyful about what we're doing because we are legitimately changing people's lives through through fitness right and it's really just for for the vast majority of the population like that's what this can be it's not that they're going to be crazy marathon runners it's not that they're going to be iron man or women it's that they just want to enjoy the exercise and they want to be better people for it. And when we can use training and use the gym as a catalyst for change outside of the gym, then we're on to something. And I think that's very much kind of my mission is like, I lost all belief in myself to be the person that I knew I was capable of being hundred percent. When I was sitting in that rehab room and I was listening to this girl tell her story before that moment, I was like, yo, you're, you're just going to continue down this terrible, lonely, hopeless path. And that was after being like a, like a stud, right? That was after being a state champion with a beautiful girlfriend and a great group of friends and coming in and into a great college and starting businesses, you name it. And slowly but surely, I became the guy who got kicked out of college and faked his, you know, faked every conversation he had just to make sure people didn't think that he was losing his mind and all of these things. Like it was a fall from grace and I had no belief in myself to change that situation until I worked to build that belief. And so if I can help people build that belief in themselves in the gym and take it with them outside of the gym, then we are literally changing how they operate on a daily basis. And that has this contagious effect, right? Totally. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that's, that's when you'll catch me smiling. Okay. Awesome. Um, and I know I've pretty much conducted this interview backwards, but it was sort of intentionally because I didn't ask you to share a lot about what you're doing. But my, yeah, my intention is to put more of a spotlight on the person than their roles or their titles or what they're doing. And it's not because I don't admire and respect what you're doing, but I just think that that can be limiting sometimes. Um, so, um, so now if you do you want to share a little bit about what <laughs> yeah what your gyms are <laughs> and all of the all of the uh, many projects that you're working on 
Yeah, no worries. So for, for context, and I like, I like that too. I think that's a smart way to, to play it because I think sometimes we can get oohed and odd by, by big names and big projects and stuff. Not that I'm one of those, but uh, we've certainly experienced a little bit of that with our podcast. So um, my name is Sam Tooley. I am 28. <laughs> I, am in, I am in Westfield, New Jersey. Um, about 35 minutes outside of New York. I grew up here in town, so I'm still in my hometown. Um, I own a few different gyms. I own the garage gym, which is kind of my, my hideout where I get to do my training. Uh, it's a private 24-7 uh, membership gym. Uh, and then I own Alpha Fit Club, which is a group uh, fitness concept here in Westfield. Uh, recently opened in Verona, New Jersey. And next month, we'll be opening in Red Bank, New Jersey. So I have three corporately run locations uh, with a with hopefully a bunch of franchises on the way uh, throughout the tri-state. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and really, uh, really excited about just a couple other things going on, whether it's online endurance co- coaching um, for athletes all over the world, um, online business coaching. If you are a brick and mortar gym owner or an online fitness coach, I work with probably a dozen or so uh, individuals just trying to grow their business. Um I'm a president. I'm the president of our nonprofit, which is called the Thule Legacy Foundation, in memory of my dad, and my brother, uh, which basically serves to to help families during times of true need, like we were supported by our town. Um, and that's about it. So, couple couple of different pots on the stove, um, all kind of centered around the same thing, right? Centered around the idea of how do we help people believe in what's possible for them. Um, how do we break down any kind of self-limiting beliefs or, or anything like that and really just show them like, listen, if you show up for yourself day in, day out, and you take responsibility for your life, then, you know, anything is possible. Any, you know, it's, it's cliche, whatever. Anything is possible. And I am 100% a walking testament to that um, because if you were to rewind the clock, and go inside my brain and listen to the conversations that I was having with myself, you wouldn't recognize where you were. You wouldn't recognize where you were if you stood in front of me today. So, um, you know, that's what I've got going on. That's the mission behind it. Um, and super, super excited for, for everything else that we, you know, for everything else that's to come. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the, the, one of the things that that made me kind of like most motivated to interview you was just this like relentless forward movement and risk taking that I've witnessed and you like opening up all of these gyms at such a fast rate. And it's kind of, it, it got me wondering like, where does that come from and how is that possible? You know, I guess it is. So you're showing other people that it is possible to achieve that much and to be, um, have that much conviction in your, in your mission and in your vision. And so, um, if people are not already watching your work, if you're listening in, please follow Sam and where can they, where can they connect with you or follow you? Yeah, they can, uh, they can find me on the gram at coach.samtooley, uh, pretty much documenting my entire life from my 4am wake ups to my crazy dogs, uh, Norman and Bubba and all the <laughs> gyms and whatnot. So would love to connect with anybody. If you are listening, feel free to shoot me a DM and just say what's up. Um, and super appreciative to, uh, to have had the opportunity to hop on with you, Abby. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome. And then I just want to finish with on a lighter note. So I, some of the things that I've uh, noticed on your Instagram, so we're going to talk about food first. So I noticed that you eat a lot of pizza and, um, I would be curious 
to know what would go on your uh, like your dream pizza if you could design a pizza with anything. I'm a pep- I'm a pepperoni boy through and through. Very Just simple. Pepperoni. Just pepperoni. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Nothing. I I'm I'm a plain. I'm very plain. Uh huh. Okay. And then um, caffeine. What's your favorite uh, way to consume caffeine? Would you have a favorite coffee? Good. Good question. Um, Rook coffee down at the Jersey Shore is absolutely unbelievable. So if you're at the Jersey Shore, you already know what I'm talking about. And if you're not, it's literally I would drive an hour to just get the cup of coffee and drive home with it. So it's it's Rook coffee. Um, And if not, I have an energy drink problem. So I try not to I try not to disclose (laughs) that. But definitely if you're waking up at four, and you're not napping, you're getting an energy drink in the afternoon. So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the go to cycle, at least. I know you drink a lot of super coffee. I love that stuff. That's good. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And then um, second thing, we're just, I just have two more questions for you. So second thing is, um, so I'm a very avid and passionate journaler. And I noticed you have extremely neat handwriting. This is something that I've noticed. Is that something that came natural or did that also required training? <laughs> It honestly came pretty naturally. I mean, I take, I candidly take my time when I'm writing and intentionally like to write neatly. Um, (laughs) If I don't, it looks like chicken scratch like everybody else. So it's really Mm -hmm. more so just because I I take my time and and I enjoy writing neatly. So I'm a nerd. Got it. Nice. And then um, last question is any, any like um, seemingly, uh, I guess like, I'm just looking at my board of questions. Any like seemingly unconventional um, rituals or anything like that that you have um, for for training or or racing? Um, I haven't necessarily disclosed this, but I just started smoking weed pretty much every single night to go to bed, and it is the most magical experience of my life because <laughs> I never I never slept. Um, I've always struggled with sleep and back in college I used to smoke and then obviously I, I stopped um, when I stopped drinking, et cetera. Um, but that has been a game changer for me over the last few months where now I've, I've, I've never slept like I'm sleeping now and I just wake up feeling refreshed. And I mean, if anybody out there and, and yourself included, like if you don't sleep well, yeah. it is such a detriment to just how you operate throughout the day. Now that I'm sleeping well, um, man, I feel like a rocket ship every day. Right. That plus the energy drink in the middle of the afternoon. Holy crap. Watch out. So, um, watch out. Well, you know, that's I, my secret sauce. Okay. Good. I, I, I occasionally will do that. And I have actually um, recognized that it, I, I have like wild dreams and very deep sleep. So I do, I only use it for creativity and for sleep. Um, and I live in Boulder, Colorado. So um, it's not hard to come across here. <laughs> yeah, no doubt yeah well thank you sam i really appreciate you making the time and and being so open and letting us explore your your psyche and your whole journey so it's been really nice chatting with you and uh yeah everyone who is listening in go ahead and follow sam get inspiration nonstop. love it all right thank you my friend yeah take care all right i'll chat with you bye-bye